Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Well, as we remain standing, let me pray for us. We do indeed, Heavenly Fathers, we've been singing, uh, pray that you would reveal yourself and reveal more of the remarkable relationship that we've been brought into and what that means for us, especially when it comes to the great privilege of prayer And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please do sit down. Well, let me add uh, my uh, welcome to that of uh, Tim's uh, earlier uh, in the service. A couple of things you might like to do now. One would be to uh, turn in your Bibles uh, to Matthew chapter 6, the reading that Jody read for us a little bit earlier. Page 970 uh, is the page number if you're trying to find your way back there. Uh, The other thing you might like to do if you like these sorts of things is to uh, dig out the little handout uh, so you'll know where we're going in the next 20, 25 minutes or so. Um, It looks like this, and it will just give you, well, a chance to scribble down notes if you want to do that, but certainly so you can see where we're going now. My children have adopted some very peculiar arrangements concerning when and how they'll talk to me. Uh, One of my children only speaks to me twice a day. For about 15 minutes in the morning and five minutes before going to bed. Another child doesn't really talk to me at all, except when she wants something or when she's in trouble. One child, when they do talk to me, uses a precise set of words which they repeat over and over again in order to get my attention. And then sometimes, at special times of the year, they choose to talk to me five times a day, but again, they always construct exactly the same sentence when approaching me. You'll be relieved to know that I'm not talking about my family. Uh, No, I'm imagining that's what our Heavenly Father might say of many Christians around the world. The sad truth is, when it comes to prayer, many Christians have more of a business arrangement with God than a personal relationship with their Father in Heaven, approaching God only at prearranged times, like having an appointment, I guess. Others pray as if being a Christian were no different from any other religion of the world, not really reflecting a relationship with God in prayer and far more a ritual to be performed. And others desperately are like unbelievers at praying only when they want something or when they're really in need. And if we're honest, I guess those kinds of approaches to to prayer resonate with us to a greater or, or lesser extent. Over the years, I've I've spoken to a good number of people about their prayer lives, and it seems to me that most, if not all of us, desperately need to understand Jesus' teaching on prayer here in Matthew chapter 6. As we've heard over these last weeks, through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us how to live in the light of our family identity and our purpose. Jesus stated our purpose in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14. You might like to look back. Chapter 5, verse 14, we are to be the light of the world, shining brightly like stars in this crooked and depraved generation, living distinctive and attractive lives as laid out in the second half of chapter 5. Now, we, we've seen that through this series so far. That's our purpose. Live as children of light. Be the light of the world. Then this is how you should do it, he says in chapter 5. And then there's our identity. And you'll see that in chapter 5, verse 13. Jesus says of his followers, you are the salt of the earth. Now, salt here is a reminder of the covenant relationship that we're brought into with God through Christ's death on the cross. Now, I've put some uh, references there. Well, in fact, uh, Ben Cooper put them down a few weeks ago. I just lifted them and put them down uh, this week as well. uh, To show you how salt is used in the Old Testament 
to uh, talk about this covenant relationship. Now, don't worry about the word covenant. Just worry about the word relationship. For that is now the focus of Jesus' teaching here in chapter 6 of Matthew. Our family identity. You are in relationship with God through all that the Lord Jesus has done for you. Through his sacrificial death on the cross and his glorious resurrection, we are brought into a relationship with God so that we can call him Father. That's the sort of stuff that Christians know, but don't, get it, don't, ever let, don't ever let it just get ordinary. Be amazed by it. I found myself, like Tim, thoroughly caught up in the Queen's Jubilee celebrations last weekend. After watching the, the concert last Monday evening, I was struck by the beginning of Prince Charles's tribute to the Queen. Do you remember it? He began it like this. Your Majesty. Mummy. Do you remember? I like that. There are millions of people up and down the country who would rightly address the Queen as your majesty. But there are only four people who could rightly call her mummy. And there are millions of people all over the world who should rightly address God as sovereign Lord, for that is who he is. The creator of all things, whether they acknowledge him or not, he is their Lord. But you know, there is only one who can rightly call him Father. And that is the only begotten Son, Jesus. And yet, because of Jesus' death on the cross, all Christians can now enjoy that privilege. We can call God Father, the creator of everything, the one who is all powerful, Daddy. Now, indeed, it is that word Father that dominates this section on Matthew's Gospel, and not least of all on this teaching in prayer. Again, I've put down on the, on the handout the times that the word Father comes in this section that we began looking at last week, and that we're now just spending a little bit more uh, time looking at in terms of the issue on prayer. Now, you see, chapter 6, then, is all about relationship, relationship with God as Father. And specifically, chapter 6 is about caring for and nurturing that, that relationship and so maintaining our family identity. Interestingly, in this section from verses 1 to 18 that we began to look at last week, although it deals with three things, with giving, prayer, and fasting, and again, Ben helped us with this most helpfully last week, Uh, we we need to look at these three areas giving prayer and fasting in maintaining our relationship with God yet it is in the area of prayer that Jesus gives extended teaching to his disciples you can see that just by the way it's laid out now that suggests to me that prayer is the place where we most clearly live out and develop our relationship with our heavenly father and it's obvious really whoever had a good relationship with anyone they never talked to Relationships don't survive unless you talk to one another. Our prayer life then is a clear barometer of our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Now last week we saw that Jesus teaches his disciples, well two things, uh, again on the handout. Firstly, don't be showy. Don't be showy in prayer. Look at verse 5. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who's unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will, will, will reward you. And don't be like those showy ones when it comes to prayer, because it's about relationship with God. It's not about showing off to others. 
Because it's about relationship with God, sort of hide yourself away. Go into the cupboard. Hide in the cupboard under the stairs when you pray. (laughs) Jesus isn't saying actually do that. The point is hide away so you're not praying to show people you're praying. Jesus isn't telling us to avoid the church family prayer meeting. He's not excluding ever praying with others. We know that because his first disciples did pray publicly and with others. No, Jesus is saying don't pray to try and impress others. If that's what your praying is about, it's not prayer, is it? It's not relationship. What's your motive in prayer? Prayer is about talking to your Heavenly Father, not impressing others. So don't be showy. And then second, Jesus says, don't be pagan in prayer. Verse 7, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't babble on. The NIV suggests this is about length of prayers. Don't keep babbling. But it might be more helpful to see how the ESV has captured this idea of this verse. The ESV says this, and when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases. Don't heap up empty phrases. Now, if that's right, and I've got a feeling it is, then uh, this is not so much about length of prayer, but an attempt to find the, the right phrases to unlock the door, to get access to the divinity, this great one in the sky that we don't know who he, what he's like or how we can get hold of him. That's how pagans pray. They have no relationship with God. They think there might be a God up there. Most of the time they've just created what they think that God looks like, but then they're are desperately trying to talk to him in some way, and so they adopt re- repetitive mantras in prayer. If I keep saying the same words over and over, will he hear me? Or they designate special times or places to pray. You can only pray here and here and here. They have rigid, immovable routines and festivals that have to be kept in order to keep talking to the deity. Do you see? That's what I think is going on in verse 7. That's pagan prayer. Jesus says, don't be like that. 4 verse 8, your father knows what you need before you ask him. Our heavenly father is just waiting for us to talk to him. He knows what we need. He's just waiting for us to ask. We don't need a special set of words to get to him, for him to listen to us, any more than my children need to use a special phrase to get me to listen to them. I did a little Bible study with them last night on this. And um, I said to them, you don't need to use special words. So I'm always ready to listen to you, aren't I? And they said, no, not always. <laughs> so it just sort of broke down. Uh, but that's not true of our Heavenly Father. Now that context is very important as we come to look at verses 9 to 13. Uh, the Lord's Prayer, as we call it. For ironically, for some, this prayer has become a series of empty pr- phrases. For some, reciting the Our Father is crucial for them in their religion. And so they have taken the teaching of Jesus and completely reversed it. The Our Father becomes the special mantra to get God to listen to them. That's not the point. Verse 7, don't do that. That's not Christian, it's pagan. You know, you can pray the, 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 the Lord's Prayer in a very pagan way. Don't do that, says Jesus. This prayer, then, you see, is not a set of words that Jesus taught us in order for us to get God to hear us. That completely reverses the point. This is an example prayer. These are the sorts of things we are to pray when we pray. Well, it begins, uh, our first main point, approaching God properly. It begins, verse 9, our Father in heaven. 
I heard someone recently say that uh, they don't know where the Bible teaches that the Christian life is about relationship with God. Well, here it is. And if you remember nothing else from this evening, please see that prayer is about relationship. You get it from those first two words, our Father. Indeed, relationship is the basis of the entire Christian life. Now, if we really believed that, if we really thought in those categories, and that's what I'd like you to do, just in that one category, I'd like you to think from now on about prayer as relationship. If we really thought in that category, it would affect the way we prayed. To begin with, we would pray. Whether we wanted to or not, whether we felt like it or not, we would pray because we know that no relationship can survive without communication, can it? That's what prayer is. It is us talking to our Father in heaven. It's not a business meeting, so you don't need to have made a prior appointment, a set time. You can pray any time, any time at all. Having said that, for some Christians, being able to pray any time means never really praying at any time. But you see, if we think in terms of relationship, we'll surely get this right. Now, uh, the relationship here, our Father, is uh, between a father and a child. That's the dominant relationship here. But if it helps, think in terms of your relationship with God like a marriage. That's another way the Bible encourages us to think in in Ephesians chapter 5. Because I work from home, uh, Caroline, my wife and I, by the way, that's two people, not three. Caroline, my wife and I, two people, not three. Um, You'll get there in the end. Um, Because I work from home, Caroline and I talk to each other all the time about everything and nothing. We chat throughout the day. I do do some work, by the way, but we chat throughout the day. We chat on the run as one of us is coming in and the other is going out. We talk to each other. We tell each other stuff. We're always talking to each other. But this is crucial. If we're going to care for and nurture our relationship, we need to make special times to talk to. We need to have regular, uninterrupted times when we sit down and talk to each other at length. That's how relationships work. So having a a quiet time, a time of personal devotions, whatever we call it, having a regular daily prayer time is crucial. As well as talking to God in prayer throughout the day. Both. It's not just a business arrangement. It's not so casual that you never actually arrange time to sit down either. But you see, this is the point. Once we think in terms of relationship, how and when we pray is very straightforward. Prayer in the Christian life is not like an annual subscription with the AA or the RAC. You know, you have it, but you hope you're never going to have to use it. We shouldn't only pray when we're in a fix. But when we are in a fix, of course we should pray, just as I encourage my children to ask me to help them when they're in trouble. The girls now have got mobile phones. Ring me if you're in trouble. It's all about relationship. And that's why Jesus begins his teaching on prayer with these words, our Father. And so this is not so much the first line of prayer, although it is, I think, the best way for the Christian to address God. But it's not so much the first line of prayer, but a motivation to pray. As indeed are the next two words, our Father in heaven. See, when we read of God in heaven, uh, in the Bible, we see him on the throne Uh, You can do this later. Look at Revelation chapter 4 when you get home. 
In heaven, God is on the throne. He is ruling the universe, in control of everything. He is the sovereign Lord. He is all-powerful and almighty. And so, listen, our Father in heaven is a brilliant combination. It is a winning combination. You see, if God were just our Father, it would be great to know that we could turn to him at any time and about anything, but what good would it do if he were not ruling the universe? How could he answer our prayers? On the other hand, if we knew that God was in heaven, seated on his throne, controlling all things, but we had no assurance that he was interested in us and that he was our Father, what good would that do us? Which, of course, is how many of the other religions of the world do relate to their deities. They pray, but they have no certainty that God hears them or is interested in them. But our Father in heaven is wonderful. The God who is in intimate relationship with us, his children, is in total control of all things. Oh, that makes it worth praying. That first line is all the motivation I need to pray. This then is how you should pray, verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, it seems to me there are, there are two clear sections to this pr- uh, teaching on prayer. Verses 9 and 10, and verses 11 and 13. And we're over the, over the sheet, if you're still following uh, on the handout. The second point. Now, verses 9 and 10, desiring God's honour. Now, it's more than that, but I was trying to think of a way of just putting it succinctly. Do you see it there, verse 9? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Uh, Jim Packer, in his uh, little book on the Lord's Prayer, writes this. This petition asks, this is how it be, be your name. This petition asks that the praise of God should be the issue of everything. This is the start of this prayer because it should be the focus of every Christian's whole life. Hallowed be your name, Lord. Again, when you think in terms of relationship, it makes perfect sense. When you love someone, you want everyone to know how great they are. Just think of the time you first fell in love. You couldn't wait to tell people about all the little, you know, the little things you discovered about this wonderful person that you discovered about them. We should long for God to be known and glorified. Of course we should. Why? Because we love him. Because we're in relationship with him. Hallowed be your name. You're wonderful. You're great. There's no other reason for life than living with you. I want everyone to know you. I want everyone to have, so not to be looking at me, but to be reflected off me onto you. Now listen to the Westminster Shorter Catechism. The first question. What is the chief end of man? And the answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To glorify God, hallowed be your name. Well, that's how it should be. But listen to these insightful words of Don Carson in this excellent book on prayer, A Call to Spiritual Reformation. If you're thinking you want to get a book and think about prayer seriously, this would be a great one to get. It's not an easy read. Fantastic book. Been around uh, 15 or so years now, but very, very good. Now, listen to what he says about prayer. So much of our religion is packaged to address our felt needs. And these are almost uniformly anchored in our pursuit of our own happiness and fulfilment. God simply becomes the the great being who potentially at least meets our needs and fulfills our aspirations. 
We think rather little of what he's like, what he expects of us, what he seeks in us. We're not captured by his holiness and his love. His thoughts and words capture too little of our imagination, too little of our discourse, too few of our priorities. Now, you see, if you start listening to the way most of us pray, you'll see how Don Carson is right on the money there. As he says, so much of our religion is packaged to address our felt needs. We pray for financial security and good health and success in our jobs and Well, we pray for all the things our unbelieving friends would pray if they prayed at all. How often during this recession have we prayed that the financial crisis would open people up to hearing about Jesus as they realise that money cannot give us the security we so crave? That would be a prayer, hallowed be your name. May they come to know you through this terrible crisis. In our small groups, when we... Think of people who are ill. Do we ever pray beyond their healing? Now look, it's not wrong to pray for people to be healed. We do believe in a God who heals today. But do we ever pray for the Lord to be glorified in and through their illness? For them to be made godly in their struggles? For their illness to bring them perseverance and character and the hope of heaven? And for God's name to be glorified through them? That's praying hallowed be your name, isn't it? J.C. Ryle wrote, The glory of God is the first thing that God's children should desire. It is the purpose for which the world was created. So the heart of our prayer, the heart of our prayers are to see God's name honoured. And God's name is hallowed, glorified, as verse 10, His kingdom comes. And his will is done. Briefly, this is to pray for more people to become Christians. For God's kingdom exists wherever God is king. It is for him to return as well, but uh, it's that. And where he is king, his name is hallowed and his will is done. Or at least it should be. So desiring God's honour, verses 9 and 10. And third, asking for God's help. In verses 11 to 13. Uh, Some years back, a friend of mine uh, challenged me. I was pleased he did. Challenged me that I was being too legalistic in my teaching on prayer. I was saying to people that they should pray every day. He said, that's too legalistic. Where does the Bible teach us to pray every day? He said. I struggled to answer him at the time. I'm I'm not one of these people that can think of a quick answer. It's really annoying. It was months later when I was reading this prayer that it dawned on me. Verse 11, Jesus teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. You can only pray that daily. Here's Jesus' great teaching on prayer and he says you've got to pray every day. That's what he's doing, isn't he? I presume this is an allusion to the Israelites collecting manna in the desert. They were given manna from heaven every day and they were to collect all they needed each day. Indeed, if they, give it up, if they gathered up more than they needed to store for the days ahead, it went mouldy. You can't pray that prayer ahead. Give us this day our daily bread. Daily prayer. And once again, when we look at these words in verses 11 to 13, relationship is at the heart of them. See, as a father myself, I want to provide for my family. Give us this day our daily bread. Well, if I want to do that, 
Then look at chapter 7 and verse 11. Chapter 7 and verse 11. If you then, though you're evil, me, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? I want to provide for my children. You can be sure that your Heavenly Father wants to provide for you. Give us this day our daily bread. It is right and proper to ask God for our daily needs. He is our Father in heaven. But please be sure, it is daily needs, not daily wants. My children come asking me for things all the time, and I regularly say, no, I'm such a hard dad. I say no because they're not things they need, and to give them everything they want won't do them any good. They'll just become spoiled brats. But their daily needs, food and clothing, I'm thrilled to give them those things. I want to give them those things. And we'll see more of that in this section that begins in chapter 6, verse 28, where Jesus says, God clothes the grass of the field and the birds of the air. Are you not more valuable to God than them? Well, the answer is yes, you are. So he's going to clothe you and feed you as well. So do pray to your heavenly Father to give us this day our daily bread. Pray daily for your needs, food, clothing, and all that you need to get you through the day. I think that's the point. It's not just bread. It's everything you need for the day. Indeed, it would be a great discipline to pray at the beginning of the day with your diary open, uh, to ask God to help you uh, with all that you're going to face that day. A great thing to do, wouldn't it? That's verse 11. Verse 11 then is based in relationship, and verse 12 is too. And note that verse 12 is one as- the one aspect of the Lord's Prayer that Jesus expands on. So he, he, gives it, he gives it in verse 12, and then he says it again in verse 14 and 15. See verse 12? Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Verse 14, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is very important. He repeats it. And it's important, again, because relationship is based on forgiveness. We come into relationship with God through the, through the forgiveness that Jesus wins for us on the cross. There is no other way of coming into relationship with God. You know, unbelievers can't pray this prayer. They can't pray our Father because they're not in relationship with him in that way. So we come into relationship with God through the forgiveness that Jesus wins for us on the cross. And then in the church, God is creating a community that is built on forgiveness. A community that will only survive through ongoing forgiveness. Here in this church family, we need a constant supply of forgiveness, otherwise our relationships will break down. I need you to forgive me because I'm a human and I blow it all the time. And I need to forgive you because whatever you've done to me, God has forgiven me more. So much more. As C.S. Lewis brilliantly wrote, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Now do you see how this is all about relationship? Our Father meets our daily needs. So pray verse 11, give us our daily bread. Christian relationships are based on forgiveness. So, verse 12, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And in this relationship, our Father longs to protect us. So pray, verse 13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The evil one who will do all he can to wreck and end our relationship with our Heavenly Father. 
And Jesus is warning us here not to underestimate the constant danger that threatens our relationship with God. The moment we become a Christian, we're in a battle, a battle for our souls. So pray daily that the Lord will protect you. And it's a great thing to pray to a father because I can tell you again as a dad, I would do anything to protect my children. Well, then how much more will our father who is in heaven protect his children? Do you see running right the way through the prayer is relationship? Because it is all about maintaining this whole section, maintaining my relationship with God. So pray. It's necessary. More than that, it's crucial in caring for and nurturing and developing our relationship with our Heavenly Father. It is odd, peculiar, to have a relationship where you don't talk to someone. And because it is about relationship, do away with practices that bear no resemblance to a relationship with your Heavenly Father. Don't only talk to him twice a day, but certainly do talk to him twice a day. Certainly don't cut off all communication with him except when you're in trouble. And don't get into repeating a religious form of words over and over, believing that they'll get your Heavenly Father's attention. What is that about? He is your Heavenly Father. Through the death of his only begotten Son... And he longs for you to talk to him daily and throughout the day for his glory and for your good. Let's pray together. We thank you, our Lord and God, for this astonishing and quite remarkable privilege of prayer and for some of us who've been Christians a while we we kind of take it for granted wandering into your presence with our hands in our pockets forgetting what a privilege it is we thank you for it we remember that it's through the death of the Lord Jesus and so we see that this privilege has come about through the most astonishing sacrifice and we thank you for that and so we ask you to Help us to uh, nurture it, to uh, value it, and, if I may put it this way, to make use of it by praying every day. Help us to be an encouragement to one another in prayer. We know it's tough. But may this teaching of your fatherly care, your, you, our Father in heaven, be all the motive we need for prayer. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.